You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us um, for celebrating the 2021 Poetry Contest finalists with Little Patuxent Review. Um, my name is August. Um, I'm a bookseller at the Ivy Bookshop. Um, we've been partnering with the Pratt for these online events for a while, and I just wanted to express um, our gratitude to them once again. Um, we're so lucky to be able to partner with the Pratt. Um, they, do, they do so much for the Baltimore community, and we're just really grateful to be here. Um, the Ivy itself, um, we're very happy to be doing outdoor events once again. Um, so if you, if you check out our event calendar, you can see all the exciting things that we have lined up. Um, but if you'd like to come down and check out an author, you might have a chance to do that. Um, Poetry has gotten so many of us through some tough times, including the past year, um, and I'm really excited about the poets that are going to be speaking today. Um, I'll have the link in the chat box to purchase um, Virginia's and Ch Chisarao Clues um, books from the Ivy. Um, thanks again, everyone, for attending, and I'm going to hand it over to Shailene. Hi, thank you, August. Um, and thank you to the Ivy Bookshop for being such a great friend to the Pratt Library. Thank you to everyone who made time to be here with us tonight to celebrate. You can send us your comments and questions either through the Zoom chat or through the Facebook comments. We're watching both those places. So tonight we're gathering for a very special reason to celebrate the results of our 2021 poetry contest. This is the 10th year we've had the poetry contest. It's a free contest open to all Maryland poets 18 and older. And in 2021, we had the honor and pleasure of collaborating on this contest with Little Patuxent Review. Little Patuxent Review judged the contest and they published the finalists in their summer issue, which you can purchase by going to littlepatuxentreview.org. And we really could not even begin to imagine doing this contest without the help of an excellent literary journal such as Little Patuxent Review. And they've been really fantastic to work with. So I want to thank them tonight. And especially I wanna thank their editor, Chelsea Lemon Fetzer, whom I will now introduce. Chelsea Lemon Fetzer holds an MFA in fiction from Syracuse University. Her fiction and poetry have appeared in journals such as Callaloo, Tin House, Mississippi Review, and Minnesota Review. Her essay, Speck, appears in The Beijing of America, Personal Narratives About Being Mixed Race in the 21st Century. She is a 2019 Rubies recipient for the literary arts. Chelsea currently teaches literature and creative writing at the University of Baltimore. She serves on the board of City Lit Project and as head editor of Little Patuxent Review. Chelsea is going to read from her own work for us and she's also going to emcee tonight's event. So please give a warm virtual welcome to Chelsea Lemon Fetzer. 
Eileen, thank you so much. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Um, before I read, I have to just shout out not only a congratulations to the finalist and winner of the Anakrat Poetry Contest this year, but I also have to shout out all of the people who submitted work to the contest. Um, myself and Evan Lesavoy were the judges and we just had a wonderful time reading all of the work. It was so strong and so beautiful and, you know, grappling with so, with many of the issues, the hard issues of our year. And I just, it was like a medicine to me to read them. And it was very, very hard work to, to make those final selections because the, the poems were so strong. So please, continue to um, submit your poems to this contest. Please know that the Pratt and Little Protestant Review are here in Maryland to support you and to welcome your work. So thank you. Um, I actually do write poetry, but I haven't written it in a while because I've been working on a really large fiction project, but I decided I'm going to read poetry because I'm in the house, <laughs> in the virtual house with poets, and that's always such a special thing. So I honestly had to look back at some of my poems I, I wrote a while ago and enjoyed it. I still like them, which is always a nice surprise. Um, so here are a few. They kind of pop all around in place. Um, but I'm going to start out with one that's about visiting a friend in Minnesota where I grew up. Even the far out songs. Emily's drunk on $3 wine. Backbone's crooked again, her tower of fists. So she has to lie flat on the floor. Says, I could spend 10 years in someone's lap. Them smoothing my hair, them saying, I love you, you're so pretty, and still it wouldn't be enough. This May belongs to the tent caterpillars, furred, dropping. They ride the shirts of bicyclists around Lake of the Isles, clump on sidewalks, orgies of appetite. Their markings lure like stained glass. As kids, we pet their blue so careful before sentencing coffee cans full to mom's yard fire. Emily, Racing strangers on Highway 94 sings the new favorite. Listen to the words, a man falling backward in snow. She sings her father's name, Michael. Heart attack on Valentine's is a hard act to follow, though her husband's hurry to leave weeks later offered no deference, blew the spotlight. And music still shows up like letters from heaven the thief to this worst year. When Emily sings, even the far out songs turn about her all along. Here I go in fourth grade, thrift shop comet shirt, shedding glitter on yellow grass. Emily's Frankenstein knee caked with mud. She dug up a blue rhinestone for me near that old fence. See, it used to sparkle, our secret deep, deep under the thaw. Little strangers run the schoolyard now, dirt storms, taking their turns being kids. 
We don't get to be storms anymore. We forget buried treasure. Surviving tent caterpillars erupt into okra moths. At last make pilgrimage to the top of the Foshe, where approximately 900 bulbs wait to singe their wings. No one notices unless they're from someplace else. Lovers renting a room in the W Hotel pretend a more glamorous city, mistake moths for shooting stars, for the rumor of still one more snow. I search the alleyway behind Emily's starting over again, again, apartment, counting what the basswood surrendered, maple leaves eating up, tell her, what if hunger starts a new picture? This leaf a cupping like your face paint moon, here a whale's eye, this one barely a net to puzzle sunlight, not too wrecked to get picked up. This next poem is sort of an ode to my mother. She knows, she knows she is alive. She wakes up crack of dawn. She stays on top of what needs doing and what needs doing doesn't run out long as the engine takes oil and there's a fray on his hem, mustard weeds and clover to pull before they seed. She, crack of dawn, she knows, she wakes up, is alive. She wouldn't believe the bookcase waits in line to fall apart when it falls in love with her. Sink fakes broken washer to get her eyes under the cupboard. Upholstery at last changes its mind, on, changes her mind on its color. She is alive, she wakes up, crack of dawn, she knows, she says it takes just so many threads to hold the pants up, each a to-do list, follow through to the foot, no option for unraveling. Does anyone else bother to put a dish away? Never mind, she'll do it. She knows, she crack of alive, she is dawn, wakes up, she crouches with warm rag after the bent knits new coat of dust. Tupperware cabinet out of order, just in time for Saturday morning. Loyal exhibition, though her hands are always marked from another's stream nail. She knows she is alive. She won't wait for one more mosquito to trace the wall before sewing a patch on that screen. She wakes up crack of dawn. She loose tile, bulb out, grease stain. The next poem I'm gonna read is, um, so I bartended a lot of years as a writer, <laughs> a lot of years. And there were those times where, you know, I just, I got frustrated about all the paying of dues. And, um, and yet there was a part of me that could allow feeling present in it. And this poem is kind of how I try to articulate that, weighing that. It's called Probably Not. You are perfect holding the smolder of a silent phone when you are wanting. Mama Sparrow lands at your feet, probably not a sign, but for that dropped crumb, you are good trudging snow to the money job when you are wanting. Look up into the honey glow windows of apartments you cannot afford. They're partly obstructed chandeliers. Propose a toast to you. How down here, how right here you are. 
I'll just read one more. Short one. Muse. Lamppost wakes at dusk to wonder how sun can scale the dignity of St. Gregory's bell tower and with the same affectionate gold cover what will be in an hour her own duty, cheerless lost mitten and this oil stained stretch of curve where just now at this time each day, a narrow shadow appears to bow. Thank you all for letting me do that. That was fun. <laughs> I miss being with my poems. Maybe I'll nestle back in with them now, inspired by you. So I'm very honored to introduce this next reader. I asked if she would join us tonight because um, she is a contributor to the Little Patuxent Review's um, current issue, issue 30, summer 2021. This is how I learned of her work. She submitted and I was just blown away by it. It really, really moves me. And, um, and so I wanted to, I hope to share her with all of you and thank you, Chisa Roku for accepting the invitation. Chisaroku is an Igbo American poet, actor, healthcare futurist, and founder of the Joy Pasquale. She's the author of The Evolution of a Saint and other selected poems. Her poetry and essays also appear or are forthcoming in Glass, Obsidian, Berkeley Poetry Review, Swim, Tinderbox Poetry, Word Piece, About Face Journal, Midnight and Indigo. And as of our issue, our new issue, as I just mentioned, the Little Patuxent Review. So please, everyone, welcome Chisa Roku. Hi, everyone. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I am so excited. <laughs> um, thank you to Ivy Bookshop, Pratt Library, Chelsea, Little Patuxent Review. Like, this is such an honor. And then congratulations to all the poetry finalists. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to read for you guys and appreciate this platform. I see some of y'all, some of y'all I know in the chat, and I'm so happy that you're here. So yay. Um, the first poem I'm going to read is an elegy, and that's the title of it, an elegy. It first appeared in Wondrous Real Magazine. Um, and hopefully I'll get lighter towards the end. Some of these are heavy, but you know, a poet speaks truth, right? All right, an elegy for Isaiah. The heavens once your haven, an evergreen against the winter's teeth, your safe space, the mark of grace fixed to your forehead even in your darkest hour. Still, you consumed doubt, rationed for the weary, and fading the rhetoric of rotted fanatics betraying your impotence. And each time you wept, the earth released its fire. Remember the faith of the saved? They were no better for it. They too looked back and became salt for God's tears. This proves that charming a God's name in vain will get you killed. An eye for an eye? 
Plunged into the swampy steam of desire, pounding the earth's pleasures and its proselytizers, skeptical of their own skin, stifled by the soot of disbelief, you were intrigued by their discontent. O oh, fallen one, there is a land that is fairer than fair. Scrape for it from the smoke of God's breath. Cover your flesh wound. Nothing lasts forever. So that was the first one. I'm going to go to my beloved New York City, which I'm far away from right now. I'm on the coast that I was raised, the best coast, the West Coast, although, you know, our East Coasters will have issue with that. <laughs> that being said, The City is a poem that first appeared in Gyroscope Review, and it's a pretty short one. And so here it is. The City carries elephants on paper planes through its sewers. Breathes sighs through handcuffs and broker's fees. Bleeds tails on the concrete, hot and hungry. A dream drowning bodies between two rivers. Her story, an unscripted comedy of handmaids. A street corner solopreneur selling darkness in a square full of lights. The rhythms and the cracks. The rhythms in the cracks. The rhythm is the crack breaking bodies, breaking souls. So this next poem um, speaks to our time, sadly. Um, it could be any summer. The title of it is called Ten Moments Last Summer, and it is after Audre Lorde's essay, Apartheid USA, written in 1985. And uh, this poem appeared in the most recent issue of Berkeley Poetry Review. And here it is, Ten Moments Last Summer. Ten. Granny's on the stoop waiting for the fire to come. Nine. And the bully boys stick together talking their rot. Their sense of urgency is fire and shots. They own these streets on a technicality, so what? Eight. Granny is in her garden listening to the moon talk about cities of gold. Seven. Summer is a teenage dream lulled to sleep by fire. And even if the moon's eye be the sign of hope, nothing comes. No one comes. Six, state of emergency. Euphemism for black boys listening to music, black girls reading a book, and the whole world drinking a can of Coca-Cola. Five, fellas with gleaming white teeth look at us square and give us a remedy wet with blood. This is privilege. Four, humanity can go and destroy itself now. Three, the Brotherhood of Fire listens to music while considering the destruction of Africanness. Fire is another kind of privilege. Two, Granny knows the hope of Black boys and girls is one more summer moon on the stoop, making cities of gold in their minds. Yet now, only the dead line her dreams. One. She eyes the firemen guarding the charred remains. They refuse to leave. Bully boys sticking together, talking their rot, while a summer of black children burn in the streets and whatnot. Two. 
This poem that I'm about to read is from the Biafra War series based on interviews I have done with members of my family and outside of my family who are survivors of the Biafra War, which is the Nigerian Civil War, which was waged between 1967 and 1970. The poem is after Aldous Huxley's, um, a quote of his that I love so much, which says that after silence, that which comes closest to expressing the inexpressible is music. And it was written after, my poem was written after listening to Jimi Hendrix play uh, the national anthem on his guitar. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. So here is After Silence. After Silence, there's a rhythm to the Brahm drops, he tells me, like a morning waltz between air and metal. Drop two, three, dead two, three, stop switch, partners, then repeat. At evening, bombs pluck bodies held taut like guitar strings, distorted wails. We are all ants, he says, with rifle drums for heartbeats, scattered dancing about our trampled anthills to capriccio music in the air. This is the national anthem we call in our tongues and learn to sing to the drone of warplanes. When the silence descends, he confides, we become death holding our breath, waiting for a defibrillated resurrection back into the terror we thought we had escaped. His eyes count three beats, then close. Silence is the empty seat in the dark theater of the mind waiting to be filled with impatient thoughts, clamoring to bear curses to God in metal chorus. Other times, it's the boogeyman, cloaked in brass-colored fear, that sits in the shadows, refusing to engage in salvation's call and response. We, pride open too soon, waiting for the next beat. We, instruments without sun, sound, white-noising the brain's command to flee. I'm going to end with um, something that ain't been published anywhere. I don't know if it will ever be published anywhere, <laughs> but I like it. And I was in a, in, a, in a candy phase. So here we are. The Other Side of the Universe or Recollections of a Late Bloomer. We tootsie rolled our way past Jolly Ranchers dressed in red licorice suits, kissing peppermint patties on candy cane tricycles. Mm. Mouths covered in marshmallow cream, knees hitting handlebars with each sweet revolution. Down Carmel River, schools of fish pucker their lips for a succulent kiss with mermaids turned princesses. There and always, a skittle rainbow scats through jelly bean tunnel of my thighs. There and always there, lollipop tongue sigh. Today's word is cohabitation. Mother Snickers, her belief I'm playing Battlestar Galactica in an Applejack's universe, unsavory to be licked without a ring. Pop! He ain't no Mr. Goodbar, she chides. This is how you test a man's love. You spin cotton candy between your fingers and note whether he bites it with his teeth or takes a chunk of it with his hands. Papa did both, and he called Mama Almond Joy. Still, tests are the Brussels sprouts of childhood. 
The sticky sweet of peach cobbler is preferred. Besides, Bay and I are like honey in a nosedive towards golden graham cracker palaces, snug between Orion's belt and the Big Dipper. Humans, you know, are a funky treat. So quick to forget that we once traded vanilla for Willy Wonka chocolate fantasies. You know, we all play our own version of Candyland. Sugar coma bodies hitting against the bricks of every revolution. And we still survive. So that's me. Thank you guys for letting me read tonight. Chisa Roku, thank you for that. And I love the sweetness in my mouth. <laughs> I'm sure the way the last poem that you chose to read. Wow. Thank you. I'm so happy that you read tonight. Our next reader, Rosemary Hutzler, was a finalist in the contest. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Rosemary. Rosemary Hutzler teaches rights and mothers in Baltimore. Growing up on an island near Seattle, she was imprinted by natural beauty, quirky houses, and iconoclastic personalities. She also lives in Maine. She also has lived in Maine, Connecticut, France, and Brooklyn before settling into Baltimore and its Jewish community. Her teachers have included John Hollander, Michael Collier, Mark Strand, and Gerald Stern. Her work has appeared in the Texas Observer, the Baltimore Sun, the Baltimore City Paper, and Nimrod. Rosemary, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, I want to say a few thanks um, before I read. First to my husband, Jonathan, for his persistent encouragement to submit my poem to the contest. Um, to you, Chelsea, and the staff, editorial staff of the Little Production Review for putting out such a fine journal and including me in it. Um, to Shailene Beyer, of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the rest of the Poetry Programming Work Group and the Ivy Bookshop for making Baltimore a warm home for poets and poetry. And uh, lastly, to Alec McGillis for lending me his house in Massachusetts, um, thus resolving my problem of how to join this reading while on vacation. Um, I am going to share my screen just for my first of four poems, because this one's kind of um, visual. Hmm. Let me see how I make that bigger. That's a little bigger. Okay, I'll just leave it like that. It's called Being Song. Can, can everybody see that? Okay, I'm gonna assume you can, cause I can't, now that I hear, let me see what the chat says. Sorry, the tech, the tech. Okay, being song. I want to sing you a song of nothing is wrong. A long song, a slow song, one that goes on and on. A green song, a being song. A song a bee might sing on its way from a flower to a flower. A pollen on your legs, airborne song and a loft on the wing. Breezy song of nothing much, but plenty to go around. 
and around and about and down by the garden gate and beyond to the tall grass and posies in a ring around the frog pond where the frogs among friends share what's on their minds and in their throats and the tadpoles listen in and dream and swim and some of them have legs and give a kick now and then and some children call them tadpoles and this is a tadpole song for your heart to sing if your heart has a yen to sing along. Okay. This one's called Here. Please don't find me. I'm sand colored and I'm covering myself with sand. Only my tiny breathing hole shows where I am. Do you see? Okay. This, this next one is the one that's in the summer issue of the Little Paducsnet Review. It's called Walking with My Daughter, age four. Let's look for amazing things, she says. Around the corner, we find grass growing in the new snow each blade through a hole melted open by its own warm life. I admire the long spare arcs in scatter plot, their thin blue shadows bending away on the white, their tiny shimmies in the wind. My daughter discovers some tight clusters of tawny stubble. The snow has made way for them in their whole congregations. Leaning in closer, she whispers, not to me, shiver me timbers. The wind brings music of seldom heard chimes from a porch around the next corner, a place we each have reasons for hurrying past, a drug house guarded by plaster lions and wolves. More knowledge brings more sorrow King Solomon said, but we linger a moment to take in the rare tones woven by and floating on the unseen. This wind is different. It's vivid. Farther north, where my mother lives, it's a gale and the snow is a blizzard. She sent an image of unbroken drifts making undulation of her city corner and no snow on the branches. Voila the wind. At home last night, we spoke of a person's bubble, meaning first the personal space we need unfilled by others. And then the envelope of body warmed air the wind will whisk away, leaving us chilled. People will fight to hold fast to our bubbles of self. My father felt badgered by wind. The new replaces us. To embrace what comes and undoes me is to catch a wave that drowns what I might have been. Later, on the ladder to my daughter's bed, I say, 
What was it you loved about that small brown grass? She answers without hesitation, they were babies. If I hadn't asked, I never would have guessed. And the last poem I'm going to read, going to read is a translation I did of a poem by Rilke. Um, the title in German is Die Erwachsene, which means the grown-up in the feminine or the adult. I called it um, Grown Woman. All of it stood upon her and was the world. And on her with the rest stood grace and terror, the way trees stand, straight up and growing taller, pure image and purely abstract, like the covenant ark, and gravely as though given to a nation. She bore up under it, bore up and out what fluttered past, what was fleeting, and farthest distant, the vast of what was yet to be encountered as the full vessel by the water girl is born, evenly, until amidst the game of changing shape and other preparation, the first white veil came drifting leisurely down over the unfolded countenance nearly impossible to see through, never to come off, and somehow for every question giving back to her a solitary, indefinite answer in you, remnant of the child you were, in you. That's it. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you, Rosemary. So I obviously have read Rosemary's work, but this is the first time I'm hearing it in her voice. And that was just a lovely experience for me. I could just listen all day to you read Rosemary. Thank you. Our next reader. Virginia Crawford was another finalist. Um, she is a longtime teaching artist with the Maryland State Arts Council. In April 2021, Apprentice House Press published her first full-length collection. Congratulations, Virginia, for soothing <laughs> questions for water. Her chapbook, Touched, was published by Finishing Line Press, and she has co-edited two anthologies, Poetry Baltimore, uh, Poems About a City, and Voices Fly, an anthology of exercises and poems from the Maryland State Arts Council Artist in Residence Program. She earned degrees in creative writing from Emerson College in Boston and the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. She lives and writes here in Baltimore. Virginia, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm very, very happy to be here tonight. Thank you so much to the Little Patuxent Review for including my poem, to the Pratt for this wonderful event, 
and to the Ivy Bookshop for carrying our books. And hopefully you'll be inspired to buy a few books from the Ivy tonight. I'm going to start with my poem that was a finalist in a little Patexit review. And it's very, very uh, wonderful to be able to read it right now because I am visiting with the family that is in the poem. Um, my mother-in-law is the sister who's mentioned toward the end of the poem. So it's just wonderful to be able to be here with them and read this for them. Death by Zoom. The text said Uncle Jimmy would not make it through the night family on Zoom. When we finally got in, siblings, cousins, tias, tias, primas y primos, más que 25 squares, faces crowded around screens and todo el continente. Most inside sus casas and sus cocinas u oficinas, some in sunny green backyards. Y tío Jimmy en el centro, a hundred and one years old, in bed wearing his red shirt. And surely he was close. La luz from the bedside table shone from his forehead, his thin skin pulled tight across his cráneo, sus ojos y mouth open as if to release su alma, his chest rising and falling unevenly, su pecho subiendo y cayendo de manera desigual. La familia told his stories, praised sus fotos he took of everyone. Juntos como una familia, we prayed our Father y Ave Maria as together as more than 30 people across a continent, speaking both English y Español can. While singing his favorite hymn and Danny Boy y Adios Chiquilla, faces darkened, the sun set on this east coast. Y cuando the priest arrived, Mary adjusted la cámara, we saw la ceremonia final fue unido as the priest wished him quickly a los brazos de Jesús. The family beside him wearing masks, breaking quarantine to stroke his face, his arm. I wondered if we would go al servicio, but no services are allowed. The priest will say mass in the garden. We will have an interpreter. In Mexico, there's only create cremation. He could stay in our family crypt. His brother and sister were the last to speak, although they did not know what to say. We agreed. Todos estuvieran de acuerdo. It was so good to see each other, to speak to him. Esta última vez. And I'd like to share a few poems from my book, Questions for Water, which is just out from Apprentice House Press in April. Um, I think I'm going to start with one that tells the story of my son and I, um, our journey home from Vermont. And it um, incorporates many of the things that were happening in the news at the time as well. 
traveling south in a snowstorm. As my son and I leave northern Vermont, everyone saying it will be okay once you're on the highway, even after someone gets stuck at the top of the driveway, even after their rescuer slides into the ditch. I pray no one's coming as we continue up the hill, turn onto the road slushy with snow and ice. Small as I am, I hunch over the wheel, trying to see through crystals multiplying across the windshield. Every few moments, a thin stream of blue fluid, a flash of wipers. I wonder how much fluid there is, how long crystals will try to occupy the windshield. I focus on the tracks made by the car ahead of us. In the graphic novel, my son reads, a superhero teleports to Mars to escape humanity. Many times I have wished for such power. Snow and ice continue to fall on this rural unlit highway. No way to delineate lanes or shoulder, even if I could see the road surface. Our wheels spin and slide, stomach, hands, mind turn into the slide. The dashboard indicates it is 26 degrees. The windshield crystallizes again. I almost give up to fear my desire for our bodies to remain unharmed, but I've already reserved a room for the night. It is 28 degrees outside. I persist at the raging pace of 40 miles an hour. My son sleeps an hour, two. After six hours, snow and ice are rain. In Connecticut, it is 33, then 34 degrees. At breakfast, we each make a waffle, pour the batter, close the irons, red numbers count down. We face the TV news. American Jews are being attacked. European Jews are being attacked. In Australia, there's a town dark two hours after sunrise. Smoke so thick, all is darkness, maybe midnight without stars. In another town, the air appears to be dyed red. There will be no fireworks over most of Australia this new year. Then video, kangaroos bounding across brown land, each body's singular exertion, the ancient brain commanding all effort and energy toward its intention to survive. Their flight jolts me. Seeing these large mammals, the immediacy of desperation, the way we have become far too accepting of the desperation around us. In my son's book, after the hero asserts, every human being is their own thermodynamic miracle. This truth, a momentary refuge to me, the hero decides to interrupt the annihilation of humanity that has already begun. The illustrations, heaps of bodies, so much blood. A poster advertising the pale rider playing with crystal knot. I suck in my breath. 
We are 50 miles from where last night someone broke into our rabbi's home, into the celebration of the seventh night, wielding a machete. Back on the road, I am momentarily comforted by the relative normalcy of the New Jersey Turnpike. Access to bathrooms, food, running water, and soap. There's this rest stop dedicated to Edison, who said, our biggest mistake is giving up. In the bathroom, almost always being cleaned by Hispanic women, signs asking, ¿Estás buscas una salida? Are you looking for a way out? Given all these truths, all the confusion and blood and miracles, all the horrors our children are inheriting, I have no idea what to say to my son. I can't say anything if I open my mouth. All I can do is be there, silent, sad, my hand on my son's shoulder. Here's a slightly lighter one. Um, a memory of an experience of the many times I took my children to the zoo when they were small. For the love of rhinos, it's all about being human, the music on the radio, symphonies, poems, every book ever written, photograph taken, lumps of clay spun on wheels, even the coffees brewed and handed to you by a stranger calling your name. It's all practice, so when you walk through the zoo and see the rhinos standing, snuffling the green weeds in their enclosure, you also see the precision of their curved horns, how their ears, edged with delicate hairs, swivel toward sound and then lay almost hidden against their necks. Look at the eyelashes around their prehistoric eyes, the softness in their gray skin enclosing those impossible bodies, all the layers of loneliness and earthly dust. I think I'll end with um, the last poem in the collection. It's called Dreams of the Future. Oh, yes. Before I do that, I'd like to uh, toast my family who are here, and I love you and thank you. Dreams of the Future. One evening, I return to find my children grown. They don't need me to make their food, wash their clothes, read their books aloud. I stand in the living room and wonder. One evening I return to find my husband, an old man in a chair too large for him. I look down at the lines on my hands then for a window to use as a mirror. One evening I return to find my home a forest, trees instead of sofa, stars instead of ceiling. I sit down and watch until the sun shows herself, then pull the fallen leaves around me and sleep.
Thank you so much. Thank you, Virginia. I loved, I just love that your family is surrounding you and that you took the moment to toast with them. It just gave me the most wonderful sort of combined feeling of, you know, like being in a home salon reading where we can just be comfortable and with each other, but at the same time being in public and connected. That was beautiful. Thank you for letting us understand that there's another circle here and hopefully more um, and beautiful work. I, I was so moved with Death by Zoom um, because, you know, I know a lot of us have experienced that and I personally have experienced having to say goodbye during this time via Zoom to some, someone I loved in my family. And I just, that poem spoke to me. So it just went right to my heart. <clears throat> so thank you for, for writing that and sharing that. Now, our final reader is Stephen Holly, who was the winner of the poetry contest. Um, and I, I hope, I think that he's going to share a, the poem visually as he reads it, because this poem sort of just in a sensory way um, inspires, I think, both, both visually and, you know, hearing it. Um, it just, I still am in wonder about it and, and love it so much. Stephen Holly is a Rockville native living mostly inside his head. A 2019 graduate of Howard Community College and a dropout from many other times and places. He enjoys playing volleyball, guitar, cookie, jokes, games with words around, along, it cool, hard to get, with fire and the fool. I think just your bio is a poem, Stephen. Welcome and congratulations to you. And we are so honored to have you here. Thank you. Um, thank you, Chelsea. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very humbled to be here among such uh, wonderful writers this evening. I'll echo Rosemary and Virginia's thanks to the Enoch Pratt Library, to the Ivy Bookshop, and of course the LPR for publishing our poems. Um, and also a special thanks to Shailene for holding my hand through this whole process. I uh, appreciate that. Um, I'm gonna read four poems. The first three are kind of what I've been calling pandemic era poetry. I think we can all get a sense of what that means. Um, each of those three poems adopts a different perspective of someone who's been touched in this time. Um, and then the fourth poem will sort of speak for itself. Uh, this first poem is written from the perspective of a frontline healthcare worker. Uh, and with that, I would like to extend a thank you to any healthcare workers or other essential workers who are watching or listening today. Uh, we appreciate you. We need you. We could not do this without you. And I'm sorry we made things so much harder than we needed to. Um, I'm going to share my screen because there is a key visual element to this poem. 
this is body language. Zoom in just a bit. We entered new relationships with physicality itself, not because we must never touch, but because we must touch and cannot. We became fluent in the living body, beautifully speechless, words themselves, memorials to a reality past. Still, we wanted the old sleep. In every tired, cadaverous second, we risked our bodies among patients breathless for love, that simple imperative. And so we gave them the choreography of our only gift, care in the form of ghosts. So shrouded we ached, squeezing prayers to drift, to stain masks miraculous. Protocols for our patients and colleagues and ourselves, restrain breath, rely on instrumentation. Darkness is inward vision, outward, and as soon as we learned this, the language of the dying body, cacophonous in sudden failure and merely a dream ending, we wanted to wake up new, anything to pause trauma. In every proximal moment, one unceasing nightmare. The terminal ranks, those straining most to stay alive, crying airlessly for human intimacy, which we denied them. The machines repeating our heartbreak and our ultimatum. With no cure, a body that could barely be seen. They look to us, past mortal lashes, leaking in the shape of need. We entered new protocols for our relationships with patients and colleagues and physicality itself, not ourselves, because we must restrain breath, never touch, rely on instrumentation. But because darkness is inward vision, we must touch outward and cannot. And as soon as we learned this, we became fluent in the language of the living body, the dying body, beautifully speechless, cacophonous words themselves in sudden failure and merely memorials to a dream ending, a reality past. We wanted to wake up new. Still, we wanted the old sleep, anything to pause trauma. In every tired, cadaverous second, in every proximal moment, we risked one unceasing nightmare. Our bodies among the terminal ranks, those patients straining most to stay alive, breathless for love, crying airlessly for human intimacy, that simple imperative, which we denied them. And so we gave them the machines repeating the choreography of our heartbreak and our only gift, our ultimatum, care with no cure, in the form of a body that ghosts, so shrouded we could barely be seen. They ached, looked to us, squeezing prayers past mortal lashes to drift, leaking to stain masks in the shape of miraculous need. So one of the telltale symptoms of COVID-19 is anosmia, which means uh, losing the sense of smell. Um, this was such a, a curiosity to me, and I wanted to write about this for a while, but I kept getting stuck because I could not keep writing about illness and loss during this time. Um, and so things finally clicked when I decided to go in a bit of an opposite direction. So this is anosmia. 
I want to shower in peppermint, spear lemons with my nose, paint on a goatee with a stick of cinnamon. I want to bust loose my most psychedelic smile with gasoline, char asphalt with fresh tires, peel the world like an orange as I rip snort through allergic spring, powdering my cheeks with pollen, humming like a day drunk bee on his way to the queen. Life, meet me at the mall. I want to wax these walkways with my heels, my spirit lifting through me like a wick. Light me. I'm a creature of incense and oil, an olfactory elemental, a nostrally giant rampaging through perfumania. Hand me those bottles. Let me smash myself new. Let me varnish this reality so thick, the gods will flap their hands to clear the fumes. This third poem is very short. Uh, I want to call it a portrait for some reason. Um, the title is Breath Weapon, which is a science fiction fantasy term for something like when a dragon can breathe fire or Godzilla can shoot an atomic energy beam from his mouth. Um, all fun and games when it's imagination, but when it's when a breath weapon becomes real, it's a lot scarier. Um, so this is a, a child addressing their parent. You used to laugh when I claimed I was Godzilla ruckusing the playground, roaring like a Pacific king as I charred the other children with my breath. Okay, and this last one is a very different tone. Um, so I'll just get to it. This is, I would be yours. I would come to you as crickets come to dawn, still sharpening the lonely knives of their song. I would be yours the way smoke belongs to fire. Let you hold me the way a bird holds feathers until you know me as only the skin knows the flesh of the mango before the parting. When our eyes have smote against each other like meteors colliding and our new gravity partitions the anarchic dunes, we will walk down arm in arm to be smelted by the waves, emerging as a silver flower I the petals, you the leaves. When you find the ice you lost within the glacier of my soul before you knew me, when our silver hands convince old ghosts to lay aside their clocks and spears, when we speak only without words, the way grass whispers the secrets of heaven to the lowest curves of the earth, I will again become the nothing that I always was, the victorious yell, the broken jewel, the star without a constellation, and you will be the cloud whose shadow kissed my face while I was sleeping. Thank you. Steven, this is, I don't know. I, I think there's a, a great big stage waiting for your work and I'm so happy I'm just I don't know I'm so happy that we are able to publish it a little protection review and that we're able to hear it tonight thank you I really appreciate 
the way you and all the poets tonight just um, the care that poetry requires with words and the way that I just, you put them together like colors on a canvas. They're just so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you all. We are going to open up to um, a Q&A. If any of you would like to ask the poets any questions, um, you can post them in Facebook. You can post them in the chat here if you've joined us via Zoom. Um, we'd like to hear from you. Let's talk. Oh, and everyone can, we can put on our cameras now. <laughs> Are there any questions anyone would like to ask or even a comment that you would like to just shout out? Okay, so Tracy from Pratt, could everyone share what poetry or other writing they have leaned on during the pandemic? That's such a good one. Does anyone wanna? I can, I can say something. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to admit that it, it goes in waves. Um, sometimes it's heavy, sometimes it's light. At one point I was reading Professor Eddie Gloud's um, Begin Again, I believe, about James Baldwin. That got kind of dark real quick because we're already living the experience, but it was it was so important to think about some of these issues, find the language for some of these issues um, that, that we are dealing with, especially Black peoples in this country, um, how we're dealing with. And then, then on the other spectrum, I was looking at N.K. Jem Jemison. Uh, and the Obelisk Gate and that trilogy, the Broken Earth trilogy, which is all like sci-fi fantasy kind of thing. But it, it, again, with language, allows you to expand a little bit, imagine, use your imagination a bit. So it's kind of been like, on one end, very deep, heavy stuff. And then the other side, it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about it, but in fantasy. That's a type of question that makes me draw a blank. Um, like, I feel like I haven't read anything <laughs> last year and a half. But there is one book that I would um, like to mention that I got a lot out of, which is a book called Writing Hard Stories by Melanie Brooks. She um, is a writer who was kind of hesitating on the verge of writing her own memoir and um, went around interviewing published memoirists about their processes and um, very powerful. Um, I recommend it. Thank you, Rosemary. I'm gonna check that out. As I understand Tracy's question, I think she's also asking about like what 
writing you've been doing um, as well as what we've been reading, leaning into in, in either way? Besides uh, being able to write myself a bit more than I usually would, um, I was able to attend virtually, of course, um, the Dodge Festival online, as well as the Stanza Festival in Scotland. And um, those were especially meaningful to me uh, because of the they just opened me up to a range of a few people I already knew and then many other people I'd never heard of before. So um, I really enjoyed um, the readings by, for example, Natalie Diaz and my former, excuse me, former professor Martina Spada. Um, so those two festivals were, were just very, very special to me. And I was really glad to be able to attend them virtually the way I did. So I think just like uh, Chisaroku, I've read a lot of heavy stuff of like, oh, let me try to get my head around what's actually going on. And then my head exploded a little bit. And then I had to super decompress with a lot of like fantasy novels and just be in another universe, another world, even though it does tell us things about our world. Um, but the best thing I think I read um, was The Book of Joy, which is documenting um, a meeting between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, and it's just so wonderful because it's so full of compassion and warmth and caring and love and friendship and humor, while at the same time using those things to address a lot of suffering and a lot of difficulty. Um, and that was really a book I needed. Um, I'll just say a couple of things about that question. And then we have another one for Shalini. Um, so I mentioned I was working on fiction lately and my project has really been about writing about um, you know, living in a black body in Minnesota because I grew up there. And I've been writing about this for years. And, um, and this year, feeling suddenly the eyes of the world on this place and this experience that um, I've been kind of feeling alone with for a while, at least as a person who left Minnesota. Um, and I don't meet a lot of other Black Minnesotans here in Baltimore, <laughs> although I did meet one and I was super excited. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I just, for me, cast a lot of sort of different and more urgent lights on, on the work and the projects that I was doing. Um, but it's interesting kind of like other things that you all are getting at. Like there was just this element in like working through this hard stuff of light and love that felt really powerful in um, what I was 
what I what I was writing. And you know, sometimes it, things come through you, and you're not quite sure what all it is or where where it's gonna go. So you have to kind of step aside and let it do its thing. And so, so I hope I did. <laughs> I just recently finished a draft, and I'm now feeling like oh, I don't know what's gonna come next. But that feels really major, like a huge energy shift. Um, so Shailene would love to hear you, Stephen, talk about the process behind writing the winning poem and how the two parts of it came together, what order you wrote it in, or anything you might want to say about the process of writing that piece. Okay, yeah, I could, I could say a lot. I'll try to keep it reined in. Um, <laughs> I think the idea was seeded a few years ago. Um, I was taking a poetry class with Dr. Tara Hart, who's in the audience. Thanks, Dr. Hart. Um, and she introduced us to Tahimba Jess and his book, Olio, in which he writes in many more complicated forms than the one I've demonstrated, where lines may work across columns or they may work independently, or you can read the columns from bottom to top. And she, she said, I tried to do it and I couldn't do it. It was really hard. So I think at that point, there was kind of like a challenge planted in my brain of like, okay, this is really hard, I should try it. Um, so fast forward to now, and I was working with some of the lines on that poem and I was just like, something's missing. Like, we're just not there. And then I put a space in the middle and made it two columns. And I was like, yep, that's it. That's what it needs because that's really like, so symbolic of that you know, social distancing, that six foot space, that gap that's just between everything right now that feels so wrong, but it's invisible, but it's also huge and impossible to miss. Um, and from there, it was just a lot of revisiting the poem um, that I needed to be fresh when I came to it and just try to let something feel right. Because the more I tried to, you know, get out my uh, ruler and my hammer and figure out parts of speech and oh, how long should it be, the worse it got. So I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna come fresh. If something sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, then I'm gonna move on. And just through that iterative process, uh, eventually we got there. Thank you, Steven. I like, I like taking on challenges, <laughs> especially when they, work you got it i mean that's just what stopped me in my tracks with that piece and evan too both of us were like wait even the punctuation works side by side and across even the punctuation <laughs> we had a whole conversation just about that as we were in the process of, of looking over your piece so really well done thank you Right, I think I think those were all the questions and they were really great ones. Thank you for asking. And thank you all for being here and for reading your work with us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was wonderful. Um, 
And um, so it's almost time for me to say thank you and goodbye. But uh, before I do that, I just wanted to mention really quickly that the Pratt Library's marketing manager, Andrew Klein, created a broadside of Stephen's winning poem. And I'm going to show you what it looks like. Um, give me just a sec. Okay, so it looks like this. And if anyone is interested in getting a copy of this broadside, if you either put your email in the Zoom chat privately, or if you want to email poetry at prattlibrary.org, I'll do my best to get you a copy while supplies last. Um, okay, thank you. So um, yeah, so now I guess it's time for us to go. So I want to really thank everybody for a wonderful evening. Um, thank you so much to our readers, Stephen Hollies, Virginia Crawford, Rosemary Hutzler, Chisa Roku, and Chelsea Lemon Fetzer. And Chelsea, thank you also for hosting. You were a great host. Um, I want to thank the Ivy Bookshop and thank you to the Hearing and Speech Agency for providing accessibility to this event. So important. And thank you to all of you in our audience so much for joining us. We'd also appreciate it if you would take a moment to fill out the survey that is posted um, in the, the Facebook comments and the Zoom chat. If it hasn't been posted already, it will be posted um, momentarily. Um, so thank you everyone for coming, take care and stay safe. <laughs> Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.